we are going to jump right into the Word. Turn with me to Mark chapter 6, because everything that has been spoken deals with where we're going with. And, you know, it's one of those things that oftentimes pastors don't, don't trust the Spirit, don't trust the audience, don't trust what God is doing. And I think that's something that we as a church have to start doing more and more, is that we have to be open to what God is doing in other people's lives. Um, we are on a journey of faith together. And if we don't journey together, we miss it, and we miss out on what God is doing. So turn with me to Mark chapter 6, verse 45 through 52. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida, while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. Stop there. This is what we're going to talk about. Last week, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. We talked about how before the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus gathered his disciples. He sent the 12 out. He had them do miracles, healings, deliverances, teaching, preaching, and all these amazing things had taken place. And he said to them, listen, we need to go for a little R&R. They went on a boat ride. They crossed the sea. Everyone followed them. They went back into teaching mode. Okay, remember they're supposed to be a little R&R. Went back into teaching mode. And out of nowhere, Jesus says, feed these people. Feed them. And they fed them. Miraculously. But these disciples were so tired and so frustrated and so caught up in themselves that they were missing God with them. How God was using them to do the miraculous. How God was using them to, to really manifest himself. And so here we are, the feeding of the 5,000. The 5,000 are still gathered, and Jesus says, hey, guys, here's the deal. Go across the lake to Bethsaida, and I'll meet you there. Just go across the lake. We have no idea why he was doing this. What, did he realize their exhaustion? Did he realize that they were frustrated? But one thing we do know in this passage is that Jesus was going to use this opportunity to spend time in prayer. And so you have no idea what's going on with these disciples. Now what is he up to? What, what's he going to do next? Like, why isn't he in the boat with us? Where's he going? What's he going to do? Is he getting his own alone time? And so they hop in the boat, and they travel to Bethsaida. Now, Back in ancient times, or if you look at the map, all these guys would know it's only a few-hour journey by boat. Remember, these are strong men, fishermen, carpenters, strong Jewish young teenagers. They have muscles, okay? They can do this. They've been on this body of water several times. They've been on many bodies of waters that they know, okay, Hop in, we'll row, we'll rotate, we'll row, we'll rotate, we'll row. And they head off. And as they're going, another storm hits. The wind and the waves 
are so big that it throws them into chaos and confusion. And this is so crazy about this part of the, part of the passages is that Jesus is up on the mountain and at basically 3 a.m., when the moon is shining bright, he looks out and he sees this boat in the middle of the lake, potentially just going in circles. It's kind of like taking your kids on a paddle boat. You ever take your kids on a paddle boat? There's nothing worse in the world when you take your kids on a paddle boat for the first time. Because all you do is you do all the paddling and you go in one circle. And for some reason, they do everything perfectly till they get into the middle of the lake. And for the next 20 minutes, that daddy time turns into anger time. And you're like, don't jump out of the boat. Stay in the boat. Do you pedal? And they're fighting, they're punching, they're kicking. This totally happened this summer, okay? Happened to us several times. And the worst was, we were in Pennsylvania, and a storm was coming. And Ben kept saying to me, come on, let me jump off the boat. You let Brandon jump off the boat. Ben, I love you, man. Stay in the boat. My legs are tired. And then Brandon starts, my legs are tired. I'm like, dude, you're 14 years old. Your legs are stronger than mine. So we were like the disciples. And the best part was they wanted to take mommy out into the lake next. That was the best. I'm like, yeah, daddy's getting his time. So in that, you get it. And Jesus is watching. He's watching. You're thinking like, oh, these dudes are just a bunch of knuckleheads. What's going on with them? Like, they're fishermen. They travel in boats. They know what they're supposed to be doing. And all they're doing is, and you can picture the conversation on the boat. Hey, Pete, can you help me out? Sure, John, I'll help you. Probably not. Okay? There's a tension there. There's a struggle. Matter of fact, the, the, the right terminology in Greek is that, that their oaring was like they were being tortured. That's the word they use, that, that they were being tortured in their rowing. And they were making no progress. And it's 3 o'clock in the morning when they probably left at 5 or 6, and they were supposed to be in Bethsaida a long time ago, sleeping. And the winds were hard, and the waves were big. And here they are, struggling. Let's continue. He saw that they were in serious trouble. Okay, Now remember this. This was, for some of them, their lifestyle. They have fished these waters before. They know this lake. And Jesus is saying, oh no, they're in trouble once again. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on water. He intended to go past them, but when, he saw, when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. Simply put, as Jesus saw the disciples struggling, as they saw this tension, as he saw the confusion, as he knew that they were in terrible trouble, Jesus says, I have to go help them once again. And so what does he do? He doesn't go to the edge of the lake 
and scream to him, scream to them. But instead, he walks on the water to them. Now, I loved studying the commentaries about this because you know the nickname that they gave Jesus in this passage? Jesus was the water walker. And so every time I heard this, I thought of like Jesus being a superhero, like Jesus the water walker. Because it was so bizarre, so unfathomable. Un- you can't even comprehend this, that as they are oaring and the waves are huge and the winds are big, because when we think about Jesus walking on water, we think about Jesus walking across Crestwood Lake, smooth, calm, everything's perfect. It's the perfect teachable moment. The guys are oaring and everything's going great and they're singing kumbaya and everything's perfect. And here comes Jesus just walking by, shaking his head. Everything's great. And check it out. No, these guys were freaking out. The winds, the waves, and it even says that Jesus was walking by them. Not walking towards them, but walking past them. Now imagine that. Here's your fearless leader, seeing you struggle like no tomorrow, and what do they do? Pass you by. Pass you by. And what's even more interesting about this is we have to remember when we look back on all that we've been studying in Mark about water situations. It always seems when the disciples get in the boat, the boat, something bizarre happens. And the first bizarre thing was this. They were terrified by who Jesus was when he spoke to the winds and the waves. And now they're terrified not by who he is, but who they thought he was. What does it say they thought he was? A ghost. I mean, think about this. If you've ever been out on a lake at 3 a.m., what floats on water? Ducks don't because they sleep. Only ghosts. And so when they saw this, they're thinking, ha! And everything that is running through their mind has brought even more chaos and confusion than the wind and the waves. And they cry out to him. And they scream out to him. In other words, wait, wait. Let's continue. But they saw him walking on the water. They cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. He said, take courage. I am here. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. You ever notice that when you study the book of Mark or when you look at all of Scripture, when people were confronted with the living God, there's two things that that God always did. First, he told them to not be in a state of fear. Fear fear brings confusion. 
Fear brings anxiety. Fear brings questioning. Fear brings running. And he always says, do not be afraid. And then he identifies himself. It is who? It is I. It is I. Let's think back to to the Old Testament. Think about Moses. Think about Abraham. Think about the whole picture of, of when Moses spread out his hands. That when God spoke to Moses, when the people were freaking out, when Pharaoh and his armies were were right behind them, and the only thing that was in front of them was a huge body of water, a sea. And Moses is thinking, what am I going to do? Aaron is running up to him. You got to do something, Moses. Joshua runs up to him. What are you going to do? And then Moses turns and he cries out to God. And God says, do not be afraid. I am with you. Stretch out your arms. And in that moment, God had the power over nature. God had the power over nature. Not only with Moses at the sea, but with the burning bush. God had the power over nature when he created it. God had the power over nature when Jesus stopped the storm. And once again, God had the power over nature when he walked on water. Why? Because he is the I am. And you would think in this situation that the disciples would be in awe. That they would be blown away. That they would be taken back. That that once again, just like that first journey on on that first boat ride with the huge storm, that they'd be like, oh, fallen worship. Oh, thank you. Oh, you are God. You are creator. You are sustainer of my life. You are the transformer. You are my advocate. You are my counselor. You are my provider. You think that they would fall at him when once again, again, everything stops. He overcomes nature and he says once again, stop. Stop being afraid. I am with you. Now remember, this had nothing to do with the masses. This had nothing to do with the person who had no faith or was lacking faith or was coming out to to see what's going on. This was a lesson with just he and his disciples saying, this one is for you again. Once again, I'm going to teach you the same lesson over and over and over and over. And if you follow Jesus and the disciples All the way through the Gospel of Mark, he teaches them one lesson of trust. One lesson of trust. And it's not trusting in in something. It's not trusting in faith, but it's trusting in him. 
And that's the dilemma that we all come to. If you are here seeking and you're just trying to figure this out, that's the confusion that you're in. You're thinking like, did he see my stinking storm this past week? Did he see me in my place of confusion, going in circles and and oaring in such a way that I felt tortured Monday through Saturday for like the last 16 years? Does he see me? Is he going to walk up by me like he was about to? Or for you who are a follower of Jesus, that all of the time, the busyness of life, that in those moments of worship, you're like, man, I trust him. I get it. I'm here. I'm present. And the moment you walk out, this is who you are. And I'll say this very honestly. I get it. I get it. I struggle with it. I am that knucklehead disciple in the boat that's supposed to be giving guidance and direction and and leading, and and I struggle with that every single day. And there are moments that Sue and I will be lying in bed in the middle of the night. What the heck is God doing? Does He see us? Does He see how we just pour out our lives to everyone and anyone? Can he just cut us a break? And it's in those moments that we have to stop and remind ourselves, remind ourselves that that God is present always through his presence. But here's the problem. We can kind of try to snap ourselves out of it for that moment. We can try to kind of push our way through those those difficult storms and those difficulties of life. But if you don't get to the core of the heart, it will constantly happen again and again and again. And if you don't get to the heart of that issue, it literally every time you don't fully deal with it, it leaves an opening, a gateway for doubt and fear. Now think of this. We didn't finish the passage yet. Our our first response is that everyone's going to be like, listen, Jesus, you're right. We're wrong. You've, we've been watching you and you've been faithful and obedient and you, and, you, and, you, and you just taught us the lesson that we don't need to learn one more time. But check this out. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed for they still did, didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard take it in. I wonder if Jesus stepped into the boat and he climbed over and he stepped in and he said, guys, don't you see I'm always with you? Let's talk about the loaves and the fish one more time. What, what, what were you shown? What was revealed to you? And it says here that they were unable to understand Why? Because of the hardened hearts that 
they were possessing. I think right now, one of the biggest dilemmas in the church, and I don't mean the plant, I mean in the Western church, is the hardened hearts. Because everything that they thought they believed, that things were supposed to go their way, that things were supposed to change, that things were going to be perfect, that they were supposed to be these ideal examples, failed them because it became too much about themselves. And the church in West, Western, in the Western Hemisphere, has a hardened heart. Because we are more about what Jesus is against than what he's for. I mean, how many times will you go to someone with a struggle and you're saying, hey, I'm sick. Would you go to the doctor? Hey, I'm struggling financially. Well, what did you do wrong? Well, my marriage isn't going good. Well, he's a real jerk, isn't he? And this is the church that speaks like this. I mean, think about it. Kids don't even want to come to church today because they see the hardened hearts of their parents. And these are the disciples of Jesus Christ. And here's what Jesus is saying. I'm always present. And I'm always, always present always wanting to do the miraculous in front of you. It may not be in the ways that you want it. But I'm going to do it perfectly. I'm going to provide for you like never before. I'm going to care for you more than your father could have ever cared for you. And to a generation of kids who have grown up with screwed up fathers, that makes zero sense. But today, what God is saying to us, smack dab in the middle of our 21 day fast, He's saying, I want you to begin to see me all the time. And I not, I not only want you to see me all the time, I want you to deal with the condition of your heart. God is so big that he can deal with your anger towards him. Anyone ever give you that privilege? Anyone ever say that God is so big that he can deal with your anger toward him. Why? Because he loves you. And just like the disciples, he cares more about you than anything else. And he's going to teach you the same exact lesson over and over and over and 
over and over and over and over and over and over and over and over and over and over and over and over and over and over and over and over and over again until you get it. Why? Because he loves you. And he wants to deal with the condition of your heart. Because when our hearts are hard, we sin. That's why Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. It's why David said, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, but restore unto me that joy that I had a year ago, that joy that I had three years ago, that joy that I had 15 years ago, or that joy that I need to have today. Day. Jesus is walking on the water towards you because he wants to deal with your heart because he loves you and there's no way that as a church we could ever make God known unless we know him truly first I don't want to be the poison of the gospel. I want to be the healing agent of the gospel. And the only way we are ever able to make him known is that if we know him first ourselves.